welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Last week I started a very short series that I entitled Fluid, and I talked about the fact that we're living in a cultural water world, that our world has been submerged by an absolute tsunami of change. And the fixed points of our world have literally been washed away. And that we live right now in the midst of an incredible state of flux in every field that you care to name, be it economics or um, morality or uh, just, just every field, science, just massive, massive change. In fact, some people have said that the era we live in <coughs> is actually not an era of change, but an era of transition. And transition is when change itself changes. Um, people have been using all kinds of words like blur and churn and other words to try and capture the essence of the period of time in which we live. And what I'm effectively trying to do in this series is talk about how you live in a world when even change is changing? How do we live our faith out in a cultural water world where all of the fixed points that in times past we used to navigate have literally been washed away? Negotiating in a fluid world requires incredibly different skills to navigate than when you're on land and you have fixed points to um, assess your position by, you know, whether it be mountains or, or bluffs or valleys. In a water world, none of those things exist. And, and I talked last week about the fact that when you're at sea, you have to find a fixed point that isn't located on the surface of the earth, but is found in the heavens. And I talked about the North Star Polaris. And I suggested to you that metaphorically speaking, our North Star is Jesus Christ. The same, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that fixed point. Now, what I want to do this evening, God willing, is to talk to you about another piece of equipment that's absolutely vital to have uh, in negotiating a water world, and I want to talk to you about an anchor. Without an adequate anchor, you are going to be at the mercy of the waves and the currents that you encounter. And what I'm going to do is just look at the two occasions where the word anchor is found in the scripture, and then... Um, see what they might represent to us, metaphorically speaking, as we negotiate this season of flux, the fluid world that we now live our, that we now living in. So the first occasion is found in Acts chapter 27. Um, it's the story of Paul on his way to Rome by sea, and on his way they encounter a vicious storm, and for two weeks they are buffeted and battered by the weather and the waves. Toward the end of that period, they become aware that they're approaching land, it's night, and there's no way to see what is ahead of them. So afraid of being driven onto the rocks and being destroyed, the scripture says they cast out anchors to try and hold them until the morning light. So Acts chapter 27 verse 29 says, at this rate, they knew they would soon be driven ashore and fearing the rocks along the coast, they threw out four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. So 
This passage clearly outlines one of the reasons it's necessary to have a secure anchor on board your vessel. In a tumultuous season, the anchor holds the vessel and prevents it being driven by the storm. So in this instance, what the anchor does is it stops you going where you don't want to go, okay? The anchor stops you going where you don't want to go. And I'll play on that a bit later on, Lord willing. Um, I recall an incident um, that happened way back in 1974 in Brisbane. There would have been a terrible, terrible tragedy if it weren't for an anchor. A devastating cyclone had hit the Brisbane area. Uh, Heavy rain and powerful winds had lashed the city, and the Brisbane River began to rise rapidly, and areas in the inner city and along the banks of the river began to flood. Now, a 62,000-ton tanker called the Robert Miller was having its final fitting at a dry dock in the river, and at the height of the storm uh, and at the height of the flood, the tanker broke loose from its moorings. Now, people who were living in the uh, riverside apartments were in absolute grave danger as this huge tanker lurched out into the middle of what was now a very swiftly flowing river. Had it lodged sideways across the river, it would have caused the whole area to flood dramatically and dangerously. There was also, of course, the possibility that the tanker could career out over the now flooded river banks and crash into the apartments. So as the fearful apartment dwellers are watching, uh, the, the boat, the Robert Miller, came to a halt in midstream, and there it miraculously remained until sometime later when several tugboats were able to get out to it and secure it to the bank, and the river finally receded and the emergency was over. Now, several days later, the story of what actually took place emerged and a Brisbane newspaper carried the headline, An Anchor Stood Between Brisbane and Total Disaster, on Sunday the 27th, January 1974. Now, the Robert Miller had been secured by wire lines at six points along the bank and the wharf, but the force of the floodwaters caused the wharf moorings to give way and two of the lines to break. When the full weight of the ship fell on the remaining four lines that were attached to the bank, they also failed, and the ship yawed out into midstream. Four anchors at the bow and the stern of the ship had previously been let out to their full length of 300 metres. Two at the stern gave way, one at the bow gave way as the vessel began to career down the river. One anchor remained. And it held, and the drift of the ship was halted. That one remaining anchor gripped onto some solid rock at the bottom of the river. And though later, as it was examined, it was badly buckled by the pressure of the water, nevertheless, it held, and it prevented the ship from either blocking the river by turning sideways or literally just crashing into the apartment, creating massive damage and increasing the flood risk to the city. One anchor prevented total disaster. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 25, the Living Bible reads like this. Disaster strikes like a cyclone, and the wicked are whirled away, but a good man has a strong anchor. 
Now, the Living Bible paraphrase, that phrase, a strong anchor, is actually the paraphrase of a Hebrew idea, which is an everlasting foundation. The message translation translates that verse in Proverbs. It says, when the storm is over, there's nothing left of the wicked. Good people, firm on their rock foundation, aren't even phased. Now, while the metaphors, an anchor and a rock foundation, are different and relate to different contexts, obviously one to the ocean and another one to the building site, they nevertheless convey exactly the same message. The idea of security, of stability, of steadfastness. Now, my question, and what I want to suggest to you tonight, I guess, is what does the anchor or the foundation represent for us who are trying to negotiate our way in a water world? And the answer is found, I think, in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus tells a story about two men, two builders, who built houses, one upon a sandy foundation and one upon a rock. Stormy times came to them both. One man's house collapsed, the other withstood the the storm undamaged. And in interpreting that parable, Jesus said this, and I'm, (coughs) excuse me, I'm reading from the message translation, verse 24. He says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Honoma, honoma, owner, improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life like You are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain pours down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed on the rock. And Jesus, interpreting this parable, says that his words are like the rocks. Or changing the metaphor, his word is like our anchor. The anchor that a good man has is his refuge in the word of God. It's absolutely impossible to overestimate or to overemphasize the importance of God's word, the place of God's word in our life, if we're going to flourish in a water world. In John's gospel, John chapter 14, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and he was informing them of his imminent departure. The removal of his bodily presence, he says, is going to mean that a new kind of relationship, a new fellowship has to be entered into between you and me. And they're confused by this talk. They're struggling to understand the impending change. What will this new relationship look like? And so in verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How is this going to work, Lord? And Jesus responds and says, uh, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, here in this passage, we see the incredibly important role given to the word of God in the development of this new relationship between Jesus and his disciples, between the Lord and between and you and me. And Jesus' answer in this passage discloses four vital facts concerning the word of God. Number one, the keeping of God's word is the supreme distinguishing feature that marks out the disciple of Christ from the rest of the world. We're the people of the book. 
Secondly, the keeping of God's word is the supreme test of the disciples' love for God and the supreme cause of God's love for the disciples. Thirdly, it is through God's word as it is kept and obeyed that Christ manifests himself to his disciples. And fourthly, it is through God's word that the Father and the Son together come into the life of the disciple and establish their enduring abode with him. That is a powerful, powerful verse. It's God's word. It's the scriptures that anchor us in this new relationship that holds us in the midst of a world that is fluid and changing. I think one of the functions of the scripture, apart from introducing us to a person, I was saying this this morning, you know, the study of the scriptures is not so much about gathering information. It's about being introduced to a person. A lot of people study the Bible and have facts about the Bible, but miss the person the Bible is about. So the whole idea of the scripture is to introduce us and soak us in a personality. Having said that, though, the scripture does provide for us what we might call doctrinal moorings and values. Now, I, I know that the word doctrine doesn't necessarily resonate with postmodern people, but, without, but the reality is without being anchored in the doctrines, or if you like, if you prefer, the teachings or the storyline of the scripture, we are simply at the mercy of whatever currents, storms, and waves hit us. Whatever fad is washing through our society, we are simply swept before it unless we have an objective standard. And the word of God provides for us that objective standard. If we, if we don't have an objective standard, we are simply driven before the subjective currents and fads that come and go in our culture. You know, Christians used to be known as the people of the book. I'm not so sure those charges would stick anymore. I remember a number of years ago when, when I first got saved, there was a teacher who was very popular. His name was Derek Prince. And he, he used to challenge his audience and, or, or his congregation. And he used to say this. He said, your attitude toward God's word is your attitude toward God himself. You do not love God any more than you love his word. You do not obey God any more than you obey his word. You do not honor God any more than you honor his word. You do not have more room in your heart and life for God than you have for his word. And then he says, do you want to know how much God means to you? You can easily find out. Just ask yourself, how much does God's word mean to me? The answer to the second question is the answer to the first. God means as much to you as his word means to you. Just that much and no more. I find that sobering in a, in a generation where I see people's approach to the word of God being really kind as incredibly inconsistent. That, that's sobering. So God's word as an anchor gives us introduces us to a personality, provides an objective standard, gives us doctrinal moorings and biblical values, and it stops us going where we don't want to go. 
Now, there's another passage in Scripture where the word anchor is used, and it too proves to be incredibly instructive. It's found in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, and I'm reading, from, uh, I'm reading verses 13 through verse 20. It says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no, other great, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to their ears of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So here it talks about God making promises to Abraham and those promises being firm and that we can hope in those promises and they will be an anchor for our soul. In the passage that we looked at in the book of Acts, anchors were thrown out to prevent the boat going somewhere they did not want it to go. In the book of Hebrews, we actually find an anchor being used to get us to go to a place that we do want to go. This relates actually to an ancient sailing practice that's called kedging. Now, I don't know if you've heard about kedging before, but it's a practice of using an anchor to pull a ship in a certain direction when it's unable to get there by using its sails. So what what they used to do was they would put the kedge anchor into a smaller boat and they would take it out a distance from where the boat was and they would drop it into the sea and then they would use a winch to pull themselves toward that kedge anchor. One source stated, kedging is a method of pulling a boat out of shallow waters when it's run aground. A dinghy is used to set the anchor out in deeper water, and then the ship is pulled out toward the anchor. And those steps are repeated until the ship is in water deep enough to float and use its own power. This passage talks about our kedging anchor, our anchor being an anchor of hope. Listen, folks, biblical hope isn't just wishful thinking. It is built on and rests on the promises that God has made to you, has made to us, both in the Scripture and to you personally, either out of the Scripture, in your personal time with Him, perhaps through the prophetic word. Those words can be relied on. When God speaks, the words He speaks are unshakable. We've been singing about it tonight. God is a covenant-keeping God who will faithfully perform the things that he has promised. And friends, when it seems to you that your life has run aground, you've hit some sandbanks or some rocks in life circumstances, this passage is telling us, don't give up your hope. Don't think, oh, well, perhaps he didn't mean those promises or, or maybe he's given up on the promises. If I were him, I would give up on me. And this passage is saying, listen, God is faithful in the things that he says to you. And that hope provides the power for and the basis of the quality we call endurance. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Your capacity to hold on is related to the hope that you have, and hope is born out of words that God speaks to you. I was talking this morning from Isaiah chapter 50, and I was talking about the servant song where the servant says, morning by morning, I, he wakens me. He opens my ear to hear so that I can have both the ear of the learned and the tongue of the learned. And I, I was talking about the, the need for people who morning by morning, as a discipline of believing life, rise and find themselves in the Word of God, waiting on God, listening for His voice, thanking Him for His promises, believing in His promises, even when providence stands before you with empty hands. And, and the things that He's promised you don't seem to be happening. Friends, it only takes Pharaoh to have a dream for everything to be changed. Joseph is in the prison. He's, he's, his life seems to be just, you know, passing before him. The promises that God gave him that his brothers would bow down before him seem a million miles away. Then Pharaoh has a dream. A butler's memory is reawakened and Joseph is brought from the dungeon and suddenly in, in a moment, everything's changed. You, you might be thinking, God, the promises you gave me seem like a million miles away. It takes one dream to change everything. Don't give up your hope. Hold on, to the, hold on to the anchor of hope. And sometimes, literally, it's getting in the rowboat, taking it out, dropping the kedge anchor, going back and winching yourself forward to where you do want to go. I said I wouldn't be passionate in this thing, didn't I? Can't help myself, sorry. Because I see people giving up their hope. You know, they follow Jesus for five years, for seven years, maybe for 10 and then they hit hard, then they hit hard times. And listen, everybody will hit hard times. It's an urban myth to think if I follow God, life will be easy. He never promised that. He said, you follow me, life will be tough because you'll have to do what I do. You follow the servant way, you get a servant experience. You look at what happened to him and it's gonna happen to you. I know that some prosperity people say you follow God and nothing will go wrong. Well, that's, that's fine if you've been following God for about three weeks. After that, it doesn't count. You know, there's a passage in, 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 uh, in uh, Job that says, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. I, I've never seen that on anybody's refrigerator. I've never seen that on anybody's wall. You know, we don't, we don't have memory verses like that. We have Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, and all of the good ones. But man is born for trouble, like the sparks fly upward. I said that once to a group of people, and someone made me a plaque that said that. I burnt it. <laughs> but, but life gets tough, and it's then that you hold the anchor in the midst of the storm. And you kedge your way forward sometimes, sometimes painfully, going forward, believing in the word that God has spoke in the face of circumstance. Abraham, that this passage talks about, you know, God promised him a son and promised his descendants a land. The years go by, the decades go by, and it looks more and more like, you know, that word's not gonna happen. 
But Abraham didn't give up. And miraculously, God fulfilled his word. And I'm speaking to some of you this evening and you're thinking, well, you know, the prophet said something to me and man, it seems a million miles away. Well, I just want to tell you, don't give up. Kedge toward the promise. Take your anchor out, stick it in, winch yourself forward. The anchor can stop you going where you don't want to go and it can take in, it can take you where you do want to go. In Psalm 119 verse 49, the Living Bible says, Never forget your promises to me, your servant, for they are my only hope. They give me strength in all my troubles, how they refresh me and revive me. On the seascape of our world, we need God's word as an anchor. I want to tell you, God is he's, he's so faithful. And in, as I look back over my walk in Jesus, you know, some of the hardest times were some of the most precious times in terms of the way God spoke to me. And they became an anchor for my soul. Maybe I'll just finish with a story since my voice seems to be hanging on. I'll do one story and then I'm done, okay? But, but a few years back, we were going through a terribly difficult time personally. It had nothing to do with the church. It had to do with our family. And it was just tearing us apart. And I remember one morning getting up, my morning by morning times, and I was reading the Psalms. And I read in Psalm 20 that the Lord would send help from the sanctuary. He would send help from Zion. And as I'm reading this verse in Psalm 20, it was like it became, I, I, I don't know how to explain this, but when God speaks to me out of the word, it's kind of like it's radioactive, you know? And just that passage becomes sort of radioactive to me. It's alive. And I, and I, and I felt like God was saying, it's okay, I'm going to give you help. Well, I, I was encouraged, you know, um, except for the fact that the circumstances that this difficulty related to got considerably worse within the next couple of days. And I'm thinking, if that's help, I'm not sure that I want your help. This is hard as it is. And so I'm hanging on to this word. And I remember Sunday came around. It was probably, I, I don't remember the day that that word came, but it was obviously earlier in the week. And through the week, difficulty harder, got harder. And Sunday morning I got up and I, and I remember saying, Lord, I'm struggling to believe that you actually gave me that word, and I'm just wondering if it was wishful thinking on my part, you know, um, Freudian wish fulfillment. And, and um, I just said, Lord, if it was you, would you have somebody give me or read to me or sing in the service Psalm 20? So come to church that morning waiting for Psalm 20, you know, somebody to get up and say, I'm just really feeling like the Lord is giving me Psalm 20, you know, and, and just zilch, nothing. The, these guys didn't even sing Psalm 20. I didn't think anyone talked about the Psalms. And so I go home at lunchtime think, well, you know, there's another service tonight, and, and Lord, there's my friends Greg and Tony, you know, the incredible prophetic people. Why don't you get one of them just to ring me up? Hi, Don, Psalm 20. Don't have to have a conversation. Won't take them long, Lord. Just tell them to give me Psalm 20. Got the phone ready. You know, great faith, waiting for the call. Nothing happens. Service times come. Come at night. Psalm 20, Lord. Somebody give me Psalm 20. Nothing. 
I, not, musicians failed miserably. Sorry, Donald. The prophetic people in the congregation, it was, it was terrible. And I remember going home so disappointed, so upset. And I walked into the kitchen and I was throwing a tantrum, really. You know, a quiet one. But, but I remember thinking, how hard is Psalm 20? You know, let there be light, there's a whole world. Psalm 20, it's not that hard, Lord. Anyway, I'm making the tea and I'm really stirring the, stirring the tea real strong, you know. And, and, uh, and, and I just thought, I stopped in the middle of it. And I said, you know what? This is just stupid. And I'm stupid. I'm, I'm too old for this, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to behave like this. And it's okay. Maybe you didn't give me Psalm 20. Maybe it's okay. I'm, I'm, so I apologize, you know, repent, dust and ashes and all that stuff, whack your back. And, and sit down to drink my tea. And Karen says to me, hey, um, Francie, this lady in our congregation, gave me a card. And she passes me this card. And I'm thinking, a card. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm back into right where I was before. I don't need a card. I don't want a card. You know, some Helen Steiner Rice Christian kitsch. I don't want a card. All I wanted was Psalm 20. And oh, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. Opened up the card and you know what Francie had written in the card, don't you? Yep. She'd written Psalm 20 out. <laughs> <laughs> Psalm 20, dust and ashes, you know. I'm sorry, Lord. Those words kept me through some incredibly difficult times when I, you know, I, I didn't know up from down. I didn't know dark from light. I didn't know what was going to happen in our family situation. And I, and I anticipated, in my darker moments, I anticipated the worst. Those words became an anchor for my soul. And when it got hard, I said, Lord, you promised help from the sanctuary. You promised that you would strengthen me from Zion. And I kedged my way toward those promises and toward that strength. You need words like that. It's words like that will hold you. And the words like that come when you're in the word. When you're in the general, the specific comes. When you're in the logos, God can quicken a rima to you. When you are not in the word, where do you think those words are going to come from? Just out of the ether? Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will remind you of the things that I've said. We've got a book. We're the people of the book. That book is our anchor in a water world where everything is fluid and nothing is secure. Without that word, you simply are blown before the subjective currents of our world. You've got no answer to what this world says. That book is our objective standard. And it introduces us to the Polaris, the North Star that's unchanging. In a water world, if you're going to survive, you need the North Star and the word that leads you to that North Star. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.